episode 155 of Friends of Film, where you bring latest movie news and review the biggest new releases, which this week are Aquaman and Bumblebee. As always, I'm your host, Cooper, and this week I'm joined by Josh Draley. Hello, everybody. Hello, Cooper. How you doing? Merry Christmas Eve. Yes, or Christmas, if that's what you're doing with the family. Right. Merry Christmas week. Happy holidays. Everything that's going on. On the government baby shut down, but we are not. <laughs> that is correct. We're still here. Yes, but if you'd like to um, know when Friends and Film is shut down, if we ever are, Jesus. or when we have new episodes, you can find that out on Twitter at Friends and Film. And to get those episodes, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts can be found. But if you can, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and review us, because that will help our rank, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's all we're about. Yes. Literally all we want. More friends. And to see movies. That's true. Yes. Movie, movies are a benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, we have seen some movies. We're going to review two of them. Yes. Two new releases out of like, it seems like six or seven brand new ones that hit theaters this week. Yeah. <laughs> the whole slate, when I checked my AMC list thing, was like completely wiped clean. And I'm like, just yesterday <laughs> or two days ago, Into the Spider-Verse was at the top and it's like all the way at the bottom and just buried under an avalanche of films. But other than those two movies, uh, what else have you been watching? Okay, so I got to two, three and a half new films this week. Excluding Bumblebee and Aquaman. Excluding Bumblebee and Aquaman. So it was a big week. This was a big week for me. I had nothing to do. I mean, I had stuff to do, (laughs) but no school means I don't have to feel guilty about just indulging. Um, First and foremost, revisited Spider-Verse. Caught Bird Box on Netflix. I'll have my written thoughts up on that so you can read those instead of hearing me moan about it here. But, but not I, good. <laughs> not good. Uh, Bullock is good. Movie is not. Okay. But I also saw the animated remake of The Grinch. Oh, yeah? With Benedict Cumberbatch in the lead role. Um, Keenan Thompson as some rando Whovillian, <laughs> and he is hilarious. But the movie is overloaded with cuteness and not really too much Grinch shenanigans. And I think that's kind of where it falls off. Okay. Illumination is great at making you go, oh, that's so cute and adorable. Max the dog is boatloads of it. Some random deer named Fred or uh, reindeer named Fred is like, oh, that's so cute. All of the Whovillian people and little Sydney Lou Who mm-hmm. um, from the Grinch in the original. Sweet as ever. But it's just like all Illumination knows how to do is make cute stuff rather than like make great stories. So... Mario, when they eventually get to it, it's going to be good, I think. Like, mm-hmm. super adorable. But at the same time, it's going to be like, eh, what's the story here? Uh, yeah, I feel like they, won't, they probably won't do much in terms of changing his design. Yeah. Like, we'll get our regular lumpy plumber lump mm-hmm. Mario. <laughs> right. But the little toe people will be like, oh, it's so cute. Sure. But yeah, definitely go see it. It's a good, it's one of the nicer Christmas movies, specifically Christmas movies that aren't on Hallmark this year or Netflix. So I, I can give it like a three ticket stub solid just okay. for being decent and cute. knowing what it is and delivering right yeah right. how about you man uh not a lot in terms of new things other than what mm-hmm. we're going to be reviewing um so instead i saw i rewatched a couple of things but uh one thing i did was you brought up bird box and sandra bullock yes uh i was going through my netflix queue this week and mm. i realized that it seems like 50 percent of the titles on there are leaving netflix on january 1st <gasps> so it's putting me in a giant panic to get through a lot of different things that i've been like 
laying off on. What are some of them? Um, one of the ones I watched was Two Weeks Notice, which was Sandra Bullock and uh, Hugh Grant. Ah. Uh, it was really charming. Uh, Sandra Bullock is really great in it, and they have a really nice uh, back and forth. The other one that I saw was The Lake House. It's her and Keanu Reeves in this, like... Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Oh, uh, this, wow. Like, this, like, future... It's not, this, like, sci-fi thriller mystery, kind of, mm-hmm. um, about these two people who can communicate across like two they they Keanu Reeves is living in 2004 and she's living in 2006 and they are communicating via letters through a mailbox that at the lake house at the lake house where Keanu currently lives and Sandra Bullock used to live I feel like I've seen a trailer for this it was it has a genius premise it doesn't quite get there but like it's a really interesting movie I feel like a it's like primed for a remake, like now almost 13 years after the mm-hmm. fact that you could like get something really like get like, I don't know who, but like get like a Denny Villeneuve, like really twisted, Ooh. like take on this like concept, okay. like communicating across time and how it all intertwines. Uh, like it could be fascinating. Hmm. Is it's there a, any like head slapping moments in it or just like, or like, you no, know, it's just more bursting? like, okay. Like it's just like kind of, you know, there's like, they like, have an interest in one another and then it's like, okay, well, like, how do they, like, have they met before and Sandra doesn't know it or like, how does like, how do their paths intertwine Yes, and explain kind of what's happening in Sandra's timeline, but also in Keanu's. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it kind of follows in, in like some similar like footsteps. Like, all right, like mm-hmm. he wants to show up, but then he doesn't do it. Why does he show up? Okay. Okay. Let's try to meet up again. Oh, it doesn't happen again. Well, that's like, oh, cause they don't know that they're living in two different years no they do they, oh. they figure that out got it okay but it's, it is interesting um mm. and yeah add that to the time con- travels to investigate list yes uh yeah but it you only have till january 1st to watch or till december 31st to see it before it leaves netflix so if that sounds interesting you better hop on it very quickly uh, but let's move on to the actual movies we're here to review mm-hmm. starting with aquaman uh, a movie i wrote a written review for the site uh, which is friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, which I call DC's giant enjoyable blockbuster because I feel like all those words really summarize what this movie really is. It is a giant blockbuster that DC is putting out there and just like, hey, listen, we know like Justice League or Suicide Squad or anything that really wasn't Wonder Woman didn't meet it, didn't really get it done for a lot of people. Yeah. So this is us. This is the in-between period where Jeff Johns was kind of taken over but then he left and now walter hamada had to like finish the movie through mm-hmm. so it's like these like two different viewpoints but also like the Zack snyder stuff is still kind of involved and it's like this mishmash of all these like different creative teams like trying to get an movie to life and i feel like despite some of i think the problems that could have brought having james wan there from start to finish with create with uh, complete creative control really delivers a movie that is it has its flaws yes but i also think it's really enjoyable and you can kind of just sit back and not turn your brain off or anything but you can just i think really enjoy the movie for what it is the giant's movie that is full of um this underwater cgi landscape that's really uh that looks great um and it has this story that's uh, maybe a little familiar or formulaic of the the hero rising or whatever um but jason momoa puts a fun little spin on it with his little person his, his uh, personality coming through i um, mean giving this kind of kick butt aquaman that isn't afraid to be a little fun or over the top or humorous yeah and he's paired up with mira and i think they have a really nice back and forth i don't quite get there with their romantic side of their relationship i'm more like oh they're like nice 
platonic best friends. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, okay, I don't need the full, like jump off the deep end into the romantic angle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can get there in future movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the villains, I think Patrick Wilson just like really wants, he, he relishes this villainous role that he has been given by James yeah. Wan as uh, King Orm, the ocean master. And he is just hamming it up. He's yelling, uh, all the time it seems like he's having the most fun he is anybody in this movie and like i think he maybe more than anybody maybe it's because of his work relationship with Juan in the past Mm -hmm. i think he knows what this movie is going to be more than anybody else does um so maybe some of the people could play a little too serious in some parts or maybe some people play it a little too over the top i feel like patrick wilson strikes that perfect balance of like all right i'm not going to be too cheesy but i'm going to be the right amount of cheese that aquaman needs um black manta played by yaya abdul mateen the second i thought he was really great uh, not a lot of screen time, but I feel like he's a character that Aquaman kind of forgets it has at its disposal until it's like, well, we need something to move this plot forward. Oh, yeah, we have Black Manta. Let's get him back involved. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Like, I missed him for the last like 35 minutes. He wasn't around or I mentioned or anything. God, he was in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, I feel like that's something where they maybe it's that tax that Aquaman has been given of, all right, we'll introduce Aquaman, but also kind of reintroduce him mm-hmm. in a way that differentiates himself from the version that was in Justice League or cameoed in Batman v Superman. But also we have to introduce Atlantis, Mira, um, all the underwater kingdoms, the uh, the grudges that the Atlanteans have against the uh, land people. Like we have so much we're dealing with Aquaman. And I feel like for the most part, James Wan does a really good job of handling it all, making sure that it all kind of comes together and at a really epic conclusion. That is, uh, yeah, it's a giant CG fest, but I thought it was really thrilling anyways. And, uh, yeah, there's some surprises in that I didn't see coming. And overall, I kind of left this movie just going, I really enjoyed my time. I really can't. I, I would sit in for a sequel right now. And I want to see more of the DC movies, which is something that DC desperately needs at this point. So at the end of the day, I'm going to give this movie four ticket stubs out of five. I only Ooh. saw it in 2D, regular um, aspect ratios. But I think that I would, I'm very interested to go back and see this movie on like an IMAX screen or something. So yeah, super enjoyable. They shot like 80%, 90% of it, which is like, it's like 95% of the, this movie is CG probably. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's not right. really shot it in CG. It's like, Oh, we just added a couple inches to the aspect. Yeah. Like that's all we did. But <laughs> yeah, it's something really enjoyable. And Nicole Kidman steals every scene. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Hands down. And that kind of like kicks off the fun, mo- the most enjoyable part of the movie for me, uh, Nicole Kidman and Tamila Morrison's, uh, I don't know if it's it's almost like rom commy yeah. in the beginning. Um, like he's a man, she's a fish queen lady, and how will they get together? And like as she washes up shore, and he's taking care of her, and it's and it's like it, it's it's really sweet, and then it's also super strange when you see Nicole Kidman just stuff a goldfish or like slurp <laughs> one up. You're like, what is going on here? Oh, she's Atlantean. It's fine or whatever the case is. So it's it's equally parts weird, um, and sweet in the opening. And then it just says Calabunga right after that, as we get introduced to um, Jason Momoa's Aquaman um, at the from the get in the get go, like some kind of pirate attack on this uh, nuclear submarine. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's straight adrenaline, without too much of the slowdown. And for for some, someone as someone who pays attention to the runtime or can who f- viscerally feels the runtime in a lot of movies i didn't really feel it here yeah didn't drag for a second everything coming up on screen was either different or unique or interesting and james wan gets hands down the credit for keeping me entertained and interested 
about what was going on. You're like, you were right. I didn't have to turn my brain off at all. I didn't have to say like, Oh, well that's a cool action scene. I was, although it was some of the dialogue is ham fisted. Yeah. Uh, and like, well, I don't know. Okay. Come on now. Like I'm not a writer, but <laughs> I mean, I kind of know, but, um, some of this is just goodness gracious. Talk like people. Uh, but I never had to. I never had to say, okay, I'm not going to pay attention. Just show me something glorious and cool. Mm-hmm. And Juan is able to put those two parts right there. Jason Momoa is a much better Aquaman. It's like he's got that lasso of truth around him, like he had in Justice in Justice League throughout this whole movie. There's personality being expressed, whether it's sort of like mild depression in the beginning to you know his eccentric fun um, as he kind of like slowly realizes who he needs to be in the world along with Mara. Totally agree about the relationship. Uh, it You could have dra- dragged that out two or three more movies, please. Yeah. Um, that would have been appreciated, but you know, whatever. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's at the very least it's a one-off movie. Who knows um, at this point? But yeah, they they keep going. They drive it really hard. Uh, Patrick Wilson, terrific, um, and all the things there. Um, and then yeah, Black Morrison as Abdul Mati the second, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Abdul Mateen the second as Black Manta. Listen, the Black Manta parts are awesome, but he's just sort of like on the peripherals, and they're like you can tell that they're saving him. Yeah. For some other thing, and you know he's just sort of like King Orm's hitman, mm-hmm. but. When it all finally coalesces and we get this one really, the, the epic battles that you've seen in the trailers, it's way better than those look. And just watching swarms and swarms of wildly crazy fish from the dark depths of the ocean collide in, a, in that kind of epic manner, it is something like out of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that part is really great. Um, but Julie Andrews has a fun little cameo-ish yeah. thing in there and that was like totally delightful William Defoe is being like his scallywag self uh, and he's just the most expressive and fun person in film but I really at the same time lost emotion as cool as it was in the I would say like the first hour and then it, it just kind of cascades into this is plot, this is plot, this is plot, this is plot, uh, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And that part was a little off-putting, I suppose. But I would give it the same as you would. Okay. Four out of five ticket stubs. Um, and with that, spoiler talk. Yeah. Can we move forward? Yeah, let's get um, into spoilers. Um, okay. One thing I did want to mention, uh, we kind of we mentioned the humor. This is a f- very funny. Uh, at least I thought it was a funny movie. Uh, there are other. I, I mean, other people I've seen jokes don't land there's like some jokes that are like maybe a little too forced like the toilet bowl um <laughs> maybe it was like all right this feels like a movie from the 1980s or mm-hmm. 1970s or something uh, but also this movie is like very violent and uh specifically i don't i can't really recall seeing a superhero movie that shows like this level of blood in its fight scenes yeah, usually you get that kind of um, censored out. Yeah, you get the unrealistic, oh, I'm going to you know, take my sword and slash you in the back, and then nothing happens. But like in yeah. Aquaman, it's like, I'm gonna, I, I think it's Orm like takes like a sword to Aquaman's back, and you see like blood everywhere. Yeah. I was like, oh, 
this is weird. Like I was just like not mm-hmm. ready for that. Um, and I think maybe that goes into Juan's like maybe horror background or just like pushing the envelope a little bit more that it's just all, it's largely CG so you can get away with more blood. Yeah. And it's kind of neutered too, because like when people get like attacked, like your the blood kind of like, like hangs there a little yeah. bit. So it's sort of like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And yeah, maybe because they, it's not practical. They'd be like, oh, no, that's actually like dust in the ocean or something. Yeah, I, don't I don't know, know. what it is. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, this is like surprising. And some of the cool, I will say though, that what did you think of the action as a whole? I thought the action was really solid. Like mm-hmm. starting from the Atlanta battle, right right from the start where she fights off the Atlantean guards at their house. Oh, Nicole yeah. Nicole Kidman kicks everyone's butt and it's amazing. Um then, like, you know, I'm trying to think, like, the submarine fight between uh, versus Aquaman versus Black Manta and his goons, like, that was really solid stuff. Um, and, it, that, and that one's the one that kind of introduced me more, like, to Aquaman's true power set, because I didn't really understand that he couldn't, like, get shot or, like, was had, like, impenetrable skin. Like, I don't really know that. And then, like, it established that right from the get-go. Like, right. this dude's, like, practically unbeatable. I was like, oh, shoot. He's Superman of the ocean. Yeah. Really. I was like, this is this is cool. Like, this is this is nice. This is good. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, I mean, going into the battle of uh, Momoa versus uh, Black Manta again at, uh, in Italy, that was really, that was, that was some good stuff. Um, the one versus him and the Kraken, uh, or whatever that thing was that Julie Andrews voiced, yeah. that was that was really sweet. And well, then, obviously, I the think. final battle is just epic across the board. So, yeah, I thought the action was uh, really unique and good. Yeah, uh, the, the one in, what is it, Defoe's abandoned sunken ship or whatever that yeah. case is. Is that, I don't know, yeah, but. Their little secret base. Right. The the battle there with the guards, I think, is hands down my favorite moment. I don't know if it's just because of the, it felt like those like, nice longer takes that they have mm-hmm. structured throughout there. And then, like, some of, like, the, oh, it's almost like 3D um, VR kind of, like, turns as they move around. Yeah. They that, kind of do the same thing with the Atlanta battle at the beginning, right? Yes. Yeah. But I don't know. Just but the fact that this one was underwater mm-hmm. just sort of made it feel like, oh, we're kind of like free floating around and yeah. swimming around it. And it had that kind of added effect to it all. Um, underwater effects as a whole, which is kind of like the most interesting part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And what kept me most engaged is like, how are they doing this scene to scene? Would you feel about that? Uh, I thought it, it, I, I liked it. Worked I, a lot better than they did in Justice just, League, where they just took them out of the water to do everything. Well, they had a little bit of battling in the water, but yeah. it was like mostly murky. And... Yeah, which I think just again goes to like to like Snyder style and stuff more mm-hmm. than like James Wan really brightened up Atlantis, the ocean, and as yeah. a whole. Whereas like they had that moment where Aquaman's like or where Arthur is first like swimming with Volko, and then like his eyes adjust to the depths of the ocean, and then it's like all the neons and everything pop and it's like okay like this is like much better this is mm-hmm. much cooler um i like like the muffling of their voices to get like an underwater effect didn't bother me like i've heard some people complain about that um but i, I like that effect because that makes sense right it, it'd be weird if they just spoke normally like we would yeah like currently if they sounded like us now underwater but, like that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. how are their how is their sound traveling normal like that just doesn't add up um so i like that i mean i liked Overall, like, I was kind of worried that maybe it'd just be too CG. Like, all right, like, I can tell that, like, that's not obviously their hair because that's CG'd hair. Or that's, like, they're, they have some level of CG over their face. But I thought, like, for the most part, it was really – it looked really good across the board. Yeah, totally agree. Um, some more, like, story stuff, though. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you were surprised by how much uh, Tamora Morrison we had in this movie. Yeah, I expected him to be dead after the prologue. I don't know why. Maybe because we hadn't really gotten a good look at him mm-hmm. in any other scenes, but turns out he's well, he's like in I don't know maybe 
a fourth of the movie. What? No, that's way too high. Okay, well he's he's past the prologue and he's basically him and Arthur are hanging out basically up until Mara comes calling. Which is like yeah, it's like one night though. Yeah, when the tidal wave kept flying right, at which, them. Which, uh, I thought it was funny when you said that. You're like, oh, we got way more of him than I thought we would. I thought we were. I thought we were missing like another scene or two of oh, Tom really? Curry because like he's rescued by Mira mm-hmm. and Arthur, and then like there's no like, all right, is he okay? Is like. What happened like yeah, that next they morning? They just, just leave them there. <laughs> cut past that. Next thing you know, they're on a cliff ready to jump in the ocean. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I hope Tom's okay. Like, man, <laughs> like I was waiting for like that, like that moment of like, all right, here's the father son speech. of like, dad, I got to go back. Yeah. I got to go home and like face my demons and like, you know, avenge mom and like whatever it may be. Right. And he'd like, you know, give him this like nice, you know, rousing speech and Aquaman would dive off the cliff and like be ready for battle. But instead it's just like, all right, my dad's saved. He's unconscious, I think, but all right, we're out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, oh. We'll just call a hospice or something like that to come check on him or whatever the yeah. case is. <laughs> That'd be really dark. But no, still, like, I did not expect to see him after that prologue. And yeah. we got more of him. And Timo Morrison should be in way more movies. So. Yeah. And I mean, the person I was most surprised to see more of was Atlanta. Like, I did you not, really bought that I did not see that, like, at all. Like, because, like, the. In Justice League, like, they mentioned that, like, you know, she was dead. Or, mm-hmm. like, you know, she's not around anymore. And I was like, oh, yeah. like, Justice League just spoiled, like, this major thing. that Nicole Kidman's <laughs> in the next movie. Like, she's obviously not around in the present day. Like, that's weird. And then, like, yeah, she leaves. Everybody says she's dead. I'm like, man, that, that kind of sucks. Like, because she was so good. And then when she, like, when, when Mira is saved then there, and I was like, oh, oh, that's totally, that's totally Atlanta. Like, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And, like, I thought, like, her... Like makeshift costume was really cool, and then the fact that she like comes back and like she looks like she'll actually be around for future movies if we get them, which based on the box office, I think we definitely will. Um, yeah, I'm like super excited to see more of Atlanta, kind of ruling Atlantis a little bit, but like, but obviously not like as their their full queen. Like this is obviously uh, this is obviously Aquaman's right. realm to rule, and then Mira will join his side, but mm-hmm. then like she'll still be there as like an advisor and helping her son along. But then also we'll cut back to the lighthouse and see her and Tom like still oh, together. Yeah. Like we got that great ending with them together. Um, yeah, I was really surprised by that. Cause I just, I don't know, but maybe it was because it was like, it, they didn't really set up the notion that like she was still alive. Like everybody was so like, mm-hmm. she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. That right. I was like, okay, she's dead. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, and I kind of bought it too, because when they're like, when they told her what they did with her, like, oh, well she married a, a, a surface dweller. So we threw her in the deep, dark trench with all the monsters. And it's like, okay, that sounds, that sounds like right. And then that sets up like the conflict and movies do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say like, basically fridging or whatever the case was i'm like all right that's what happens thank you nicole kidman for those great 10 <laughs> 10 minutes or so and then yeah when she returns it's like oh perfect um but i forgot i want to talk a little bit more about julie andrews and her okay kraken leviathan type guardian dragon yes. guardianship totally awesome did not expect to hear it talk and well does it talk that's the weird thing like well, it's like telecommunication, yeah. which I'm kind of, I am super glad that they added that to it and weren't afraid to be like, he talks to fish and we put that in the movie like a hundred percent. Like I was almost waiting for like Julie Andrews to get like some catchphrase from the, like the final, final battle. Mm-hmm. Just been like, after like, she like, you know, ripped some giant shark and half or something. Oh, just be like, yeah. just give like her, like her one liner. <laughs> and I'm been, like, it would have made me feel a little weird, but like, I was just like waiting for it because I was, that's like this move. That's the type of movie mm-hmm. that Aquaman is. It's got a giant octopus playing the drums. It's got 
you know, them pulling a Pinocchio or a Jonah and traveling through, you know, <laughs> a whale in a, through, through, in a whale. And like they, it has all these these ridiculous elements to it that I think you either accept or you don't. I accepted them all. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, all right, give me that one liner, Julie Andrews. And like, yeah. I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, OK, like, that's fine. <laughs> but I was like, totally. I was just like, I was totally on board for it. Yeah. It, at some points, it's almost like I was watching Dragon Ball Z. Okay, and, and like, I don't know. In some ways, in some of like the action styles that we had here, um, but not, not obviously like the power loading and like the uh, extreme close-ups with like moving backgrounds and streaking motion blur, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. But that was just kind of like the attitude a lot of the characters have, especially in that battle with King Orm in the um, arena area, or whatever yeah. the case is. There, that that was the sort of like, yeah, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, that was a nice battle too. Um, Worst moment of the movie? Ooh. The Africa song? Yeah, my people. <laughs> uh, I've seen people talk about this before it came out, so I was kind of prepared, prepared for, for it. it. And as a play, I was like, I mean, as far as Pitbull covers go, it's not that bad. <laughs> when it started, when it started um, playing, it just starts like with the regular Africa you know, chorus line. I was like, right. okay, like, I like Africa, Toto, okay, I can get a board. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds different, but like I can get a board. And then Pitbull starts rapping. I was like, oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> uh, it's not prepared. Yeah, I've got a bigger issue with Weezer's cover of Africa than I do uh, okay. Pitbull's. But, it's no, a big th- year for Africa remakes. It is a big year for Africa remakes. Did you see catch the SNL skit about Weezer? I did not. It's got Matt Damon in it. It's so hilarious. Um, I think the weirdest, the weirdest parts are just like some of the low-key moments with Momoa and Mara. It, when it's just the downtime. Yeah. I don't know specifically one where I was just head slapping myself, but they were definitely like, I was like cringing as they kind of like danced around their romance stuff and flirting. But yeah, I think that probably the best use of their romance was like the Italy stuff where like they wasn't talking. It was more of like Mira getting the fish out of water element. And like, all right, so this is humanity. Mm-hmm. They're eating things. I'm going to eat this rose. And he's just like, that's not what you're supposed <laughs> to do, but I'm going to eat a rose anyways to make you feel right. normal. Um, and then I really liked their, Speaking of Mira, not to get like super negative on her, because I did think Amber Heard did a solid, did a good enough job um, with the role, and I liked how they used her powers a lot in this movie. Where then in Italy, when she's like stuck in that wine uh, cellar, and then she like pulls all the wine out of the bars, like I was like that just like, like that, that's the, that yeah, it was like a super cool effect, and I was like yeah, like she can't just control water; she can control all kind of liquid, mm-hmm. and it gave me like some horror vibes. I was like oh like yeah, this is definitely a James Bond movie. Oh yeah, because like as it's kind of like free floating, and yeah, it just seemed like demonic almost. Yes, yeah, almost like um like what's like happens in The Shining when like all that water like yeah. floods through, but it's just sort of like it's suspended and then like as combined and then forces. It yeah, but I thought I was like that's a really cool effect. Um, and then, like, another horror, kind of, like, the trench people, uh, yes. that yeah. was, like, very, like, all right, this is, like, totally James Wan, too. That was, that was probably, the the entirety of the trench is my favorite moments of the movie, because it felt so inspired, and there's so much room for them to play with, and be like, what do these people look like? Mm-hmm. What do they do? It's the darkest part of the ocean we've never explored, or close to it. Well, let's see what we got here. Yeah. And, that, yeah, particularly the ghouls. Um, jumping to the finale, mm-hmm. uh, nobody dies. Yeah, weirdly enough, which was like kind of refreshing. <laughs> like, not that like every superhero movie ends with you know the bad guys dying, but it seems like more often than not, especially in a movie that has multiple villains, one of them's gonna go. And like this one, they leave it open for more, which I think is a good thing. Like, I want to mm-hmm. see more of King Orm, um, because like, I think the dynamic between him and Arthur isn't explored that much, and like he obviously has a like a grudge against you know 
hu- regular humans. Yeah. And like, I think his motivations aren't explored enough. I don't think like the movie kind of gets lost a little bit in the politics of Atlantis um, with a lot of Orm stuff. And I'd rather just see him like come back and just be like, now that we've established that he hates humans for polluting the uh, ocean and all this kind of stuff. Like now that we've got his motivations out of the way that he can just be like a full big bad, you know, in the sequel or something. Yeah. And I did like, and especially too like the, the dance around the cult, like, he, like when he gets beaten down or whatever the case is, he's like not ready to give up too mm-hmm. much, but then he's like, Oh, my mom's alive. Yeah. And that was kind of like a human moment for him that we kind of didn't get throughout most of the movie. So it was like, Oh, okay. He's like, okay, you, you saved mom. So right. I'll, I'll stop my civil war against all of him or my genocidal attack on humanity for you. <laughs> and so you know, a little, yeah, like he said, it opens up an interesting dynamic going forward if they choose to do that, which yeah. I think would be more fun to play. It'll be like a Thor. It could be like a Thor Loki type situation. Oh yeah. Um, Patrick will just get have to like lean a little bit more into his uh, we're best bros side, yeah. you know. <laughs> It'll get like an odd couple or you know midnight run type pairing. So, I could totally see that. Yeah, I would love. To, um, I would yeah, love I mean, to obviously there. Atlantis is totally united behind Arthur now. He's got the uh, you know the orange and green suit, which I do like. Now seeing the movie, I kind of wish they kind of left they would have left that out of the marketing because that would have been mm-hmm. when he steps out of the water. Like that would have been a really cool moment for him to finally step out in that suit but i understand why he had to put it in out there um but then we also have mantis survived as well um he is now in the uh he was rescued by dr shin who's played by um can't think of his name for some reason me neither but yeah. I'll find out. I will. Who is Doctor Shin, though? Could you tell by us? Randall Park and uh, Doctor Shin is the guy who kind of, at least in the comics, he helps uh, Tom train Arthur. So he kind of has kind of a vocal role in uh-huh. the comics. Um, but instead, for here, um, you know, in the comics, then he's you know he wants to learn more about Atlantis, to learn more about Atlanteans and everything. And then obviously, Aquaman's just like, no, you can't come anywhere near my underwater cities and so he kind of becomes vengeful and then obviously like you know turns a little evil so now he's teamed up with black manta um that should be a interesting pairing moving forward so it's more randall park more yaya abdul mateen second together should be a nice little uh pairing for the dc universe yeah absolutely and especially too because black manta is like his arch nemesis right In most, aquaman's yeah yes things going forward very cool yeah and that was a uh a nice like actually like one of those human moments you were talking about, like where, when uh black Manta's father died, like that was like a, Oh, like that was a nice little moment there between uh Yaya and the other actor. And then uh like, but then I also liked how they paid it off later down the road where like Arthur's like, like I could have saved him. I could have like let him live and I wouldn't have created this enemy. So like, he's learning, like this is like, like you can be like the baddest guy around, but like your decisions have consequences. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's that hero's journey again. So I, I think they do still make, you know, some progression with uh, Aquaman throughout the movie. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, he, like he made him a martyr. And then so when he gets around to Orm, he's like, Oh, I will not kill you. Yeah. And let's see what happens from here. And it may end up probably causing problems, but also it keeps that Aquaman mythos alive. Um, and power struggle. Yes. Uh, will you ever watch it again? The Josh Straley question. No. Okay. I won't buy it. That's for sure. And I won't be like, yeah, you know, I will not, I will not ever actively push play on this movie. Probably again. But if someone's playing, I'll be like, oh, hey, Aquaman's a good movie. I'll sit down and watch it. But no, I will not, I will not watch it again. Okay. Um, and DC rankings, DCEU. Top five. Okay. 
There's only five, isn't there? <laughs> uh, there's six. There's six. Yeah. Okay. Top four, probably. It's better than Justice League. It's better than Man of Steel. It's better than uh, the other movie. Suicide Squad. Su- Suicide Squad. And so that makes, it top, that makes it top two then. And BVS. Oh, yeah. It's, so it's it, top it's, two. It's, it's two. Wonder Woman Aquaman. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll go agree. there. It's Wonder Woman Aquaman. Uh, then Man of Steel. Then BVS. Then Justice League. Then Suicide Squad. Yeah. For me. That sounds right for me too. Um, so let's jump out of Aquaman spoilers then, if you've got nothing else to say. All right. We'll go ahead and float to the surface Yes. Now. Let's go back to the surface. Go back to the 1980s um, and check out the latest Transformers movie, the soft reboot um, in a way that uh, Paramount is doing with this franchise. Josh, do you want to kick off the review here for Bumblebee? Yeah, I do want to kick off. Non-spoilers, by the way. Non-spoilers. I'm trying to think what spoilers would be. Okay. Got them locked out. Done. All Great. right. Travis Knight's Bumblebee is the first, is the second Transformers movie I have ever seen. The last night, which we reviewed on this show, was the first. I hated every second of it. Not every second of it. Some of the Sir Anthony Anthony Hopkins Hopkins, was great and terrific. Everything else was just like, bang my head. How can this possibly be this stupid? Um, Oh, I also liked uh, Isabella Monar as well. She was terrific. But other than that, no, nothing. Hated it all. From the first. 20 minutes of Bumblebee. I knew I was going to like this movie. Haley, I think Haley Steinfeld as um, Charlie Watts, or Charlie Watson. Yes. Do, may, breathes all the life into this franchise and movie that um, it, it really, really needed. It felt like I was watching Iron Giant and E.T. in a lot of the ways. And that's sort of the core of the movie we the the first 10 minutes or so we get like your typical uh transformers um mechanized explosions and battles and like you can't tell it's a different director other than michael bay in those first 10 minutes but then we get our shift and the story becomes charlie's all the way through until she meets bumblebee and it, we get to see what it's like as someone, you know, who finds a giant robot in a junkyard and has to become friends with it. And it's really focused on that and Bumblebee and her story and their relationship. And by the time things have to move into the, all right, we need to have some kind of action elements here um, to, you know, satisfy Transformers fans. You're okay with it because Charlie's around and you're invested in Bumblebee and their relationship. And that's what makes the action more tense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay, like in terms of, you know, scale and what's going on. It's robots fighting robots, blah, 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 blah. That's not that cool. But you're feeling something in that because of the relationship they've established. And it's super fun and enjoyable. And it's also just super funny. Steinfeld really crushes it as a 18-year-old. Like she brings some of that 17-again angst mm-hmm. to the role um, with her step family, who's... I can't think of who's played the stepfather, but he's just particularly hilarious and like is always smiling. Um, Steven Schneider. Yes, thank plays you. Plays Ron. It's Steven Schneider? Yes. No way. Okay, that's awesome. He's the, just some like random. From Broad City? Yeah. Hmm. And Lucifer and You're the Worst and some other stuff. Yeah, he crushes it. Um, but as going through all of that, it's really cool. And so credit to Travis Knight and Christina Hobson for having a movie that's not worried about 
Transformers mythology or Allsparks or Technobabble or anything like that or showing you just cool stuff. There's heart and emotion to it, and it's really warm um, all the way through. It's maybe a little bit predictable with its ends, but at the same time, they they tie together so well. I'm okay with it. So I'm going to go ahead and say, weirdly enough, it is five out of five for me. Whoa. I would watch it again. I sure hope so if you're giving it a five. Like I will jump on and buy this thing when it comes out. Wow. Okay. Five yeah. out of five for I, Josh I, Bailey. I was just immensely impressed. Uh, I will go ahead and say that, uh, echoing a lot of the stuff you said, Steinfeld, mm-hmm. great, huge fan of hers, obviously. Like I thought she maybe was worthy of an Oscar nomination for Edge of 17. She was so good um, in that role. But here she gets to play a little bit of a different teenager. And uh, as great as she is in the movie, um, I think the Transformers movies – have always had that human element to them that are worked on various levels. But um, the bond between her and Bumblebee in this movie is great. And it really kind of, yeah, it has those iron giants ET vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this, this boy and it's dog kind of story, but this time it's a girl and her robot. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the great things that this movie does though, is that while it still has that, you know, relationship between the human and the Autobot that you kind of have come to expect from a Transformers movie, um, it still has the action that you'd come to expect, but it also does a brilliant job of actually making the Transformers themselves characters like Bumblebee right from the start. Like we, like this is Charlie is like the lead human character, but this mm-hmm. is still Bumblebee's movie. Like in the, in the original 2007 uh, Michael Bay Transformers movie it is still Shia LaBeouf's movie like that is he's the lead character like yes we see Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and a bunch of Autobots and stuff but he's still the main character he's the one we see I believe first um, of the film and we are with him throughout most of the movie this one we start right on Cybertron with Autobots Decepticons wars raging and you're just like uh, uh okay like we're here like mm-hmm. this is like while you may say that robots fighting robots isn't that interesting or exciting i thought that opening battle sequence was pretty awesome and that it get, it gave you something that you haven't seen before um in this live action setting all the different transformers um battling together all the different ones that we maybe out of seen before and even as coming somebody who's not a huge transformers fan from like i've watched the 80s cartoon or mm-hmm. i've collected all the toys or trading cards or whatever like it was still cool to see that because like that was something I've always been interested in from watching the movies. Like, well, what about like, what are the transformers doing before this? What have they been doing before they're like, you know, squabbling with humans? Like they've been fighting their own war. And like, we got a glimpse of that. And then even when Bumblebee leaves there, he arrives on earth and it's not like crash land on earth, jump forward two years. And now mm-hmm. here's Charlie's story. And it's like, no, he crash lands on earth and he has to fight John Cena and his army. It's right. just like, Oh my gosh, by the way, Dylan O'Brien voices Bumblebee when he still has a voice. My, my guy, oh. great addition. Uh, loved that, even though his voice is only used for about 10 minutes of the movie before you know Bumblebee's normal uh, voice uh, is lost and he has to go back to his, you know, using the radio or, D- or CDs or whatever it may be, yeah. talk um, and communicate. But from that point on, like, Bumblebee is still, he's fighting. Um, he, like, you learn so much more about him through these opening 10 minutes than you do in all five of the Bayformer movies. Yeah, I was going to say, I understood way more about Transformers and what they do and what's going on than I did in the initial 
Bay films right. or whatever the case, or the Bay film that you've seen. Granted, yeah. that thing was a mess, <laughs> you know, storyline wise. Um, it was like, oh, it's all about King Arthur and they're all fighting over him. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought like from in that moment and like from early on across the board, the action really great. Um, it gives you those thrills and the big budget blockbuster kind of stuff that you've come to expect from these movies. Um, I would agree with you that the story is pretty simple. It's more like. I know, I know, I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. Um, mm-hmm. So there's not like a lot of surprises where I think Aquaman, there are some surprises in how the story plays out. Bumblebee, there's not necessarily that. Um, but still at the end of the day, like it still delivers on an emotional level more than the Bayformers movies ever even came close to doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the first one does a solid job with the emotional aspects of it, but like this one is still much better. It, telegra- it telegraphs every move it's going to make. Um, from the beginning with her relationship with her dad, her mm-hmm. diving, and it puts all of those things in its finale. And I think that's where the payoff for me was just like, oh, perfect. With right. the stun gun defibrillator and then as well um, with the flood and then like the the diving aspects. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't like it's spoiler. But yeah, so that's, that's no, kind of no. where it's just like, oh, perfect. Um, the only other thing that's maybe I think takes me out of it a little bit is yeah what's the drag the the the, i think her family is maybe too involved there at the end Mm. like i think that's kind of been somewhat of a problem with the the previous movies as well as the like i think you need that human connection uh or you don't don't need it but i think it's a good element to include in these transformers stories but then they just they bring them on too much where then it's like all right like in the early movies like all right well now shia labeouf's parents are there or like his girlfriend or yeah they find an army and like now they're all together it's like i don't really need that like just show mm-hmm. me bumblebee and optimus prime fighting against um you know whatever decepticon is out there like just, i'm good with that and like this one it had bumblebee versus angela bassett's character versus yeah. justin Thoreau's character and angela bassett does a great job with the voiceover um she's so good as the villain character yeah shatter um but then like it's like all right well now we got to get the stepdad involved and the mom and the brother it's like all right they're, they're like they're fine characters but i don't need them driving around you know, the, the final act of this movie. Oh no, that was particularly funny, especially with, uh, Timothy Chalamet jr. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or whoever that kid was. He looked like him he, he, a little bit. You didn't think it was particularly funny where they've got like four cars already to like, you know, slam into him. I, on that I freeway? mean, yeah, like there are, there are funny <laughs> moments to it, but it's like, but I'd rather just like stick with what else is happening. Like the storyline I'm actually following, not like, Oh, what are Ron and Sally and Otis up to? It's like, well, I mean, it's not like we like go live to them watching Howdy Doody every night or something <laughs> like that. I mean, they're just like, "Where's Charlie? Let's go after her." And then they have that little chase scene. And they're like, that's "What's true. going on?" Their pre- that, yeah, their preferred uh, show is Alf, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yes. So. <laughs> or no, that was her uncle's. <laughs> that was particularly hilarious. Yeah. Like all of the '80s Easter eggs. There's in a lot there, of them, especially too with the uh, um, the Judd Nelson. Um, yes. Breakfast Club fist great pump moment, great moment. moment at the end. Um, um, awesome. But uh, I mean, the only thing I think is really worth mentioning here before we get into spoilers, Cena thought he was solid. Um, he strikes a decent balance, I think, between being like too actiony but or too jokey. Um, but I, I, for me, I just thought the Section Seven stuff, where it's like Section Sevens with the Decepticons, I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Give me back to Charlie and Bumblebee. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. So like that doesn't drag the movie down completely, but like it, it I, I mean, I don't think this movie's a five. I'm still going to go pretty high with it, but I'm going to give it four ticket subs out of five. Still mm-hmm. confidently say this is the best Transformers movie that exists. Yeah. Um, live action. I can't speak about the animated one. I've never seen it, but uh, yeah, this is really great. Can't wait to see more. Hopefully. 
Yeah, especially in this particular style. Yes. To, um, because I'm worried in moving, kind of move us into spoilers a little yes, bit here. Yes, moving into spoilers, moving into spoilers I am worried about the direction these movies are going to take, even with this soft reboot. I don't. We'll see what it does at the box office and everything like that. So I don't know if that'll be an indication of like what direction they pursue. Could be. But they need good screenwriters and directors to carry these movies forward. I mean, I don't know if it was just refreshing because Michael Bay was thrown out and the focus was placed on human elements and connection rather than, you know, just explosions in general Mm -hmm. or whatever the case is. Um, But by the end, Bumblebee and Charlie part ways. Yes. It is super sad and also a little bit funny as Bumblebee's like, okay, now it's time to be a Camaro. (laughs) And then uh, drives off to go join Optimus, who's, that's Optimus on the freeway, I'm assuming. Look, you you stayed semi through the credits? Oh, yeah, I stayed all the way through. And they're hanging out in the Redwoods of California, which is also an excellent location. Like, location shooting here was perfect, by the way. Um so they're doing all of that, and I'm thinking, oh no, Charlie's gone, and now there's like really no reason for humans to be involved with these Transformers at the present moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm worried about the direction after this, but who knows? Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I can see where you're coming from because that is also a concern a little bit. It's like as much as I would be interested to see them go like full on. This is a Transformers movie, and there's no, like, there's a human element to it and, like, some side characters, but there's no, like, care, like human character on the journey with Optimus and Bumblebee. Like, it, this is strictly Optimus and Bumblebee and fill in the blank with three other Autobots. And mm-hmm. it's like, that is, that's the story. That's what we're going on. Um, and, like, yeah, maybe there's, like, a new Charlie-type character that's along for the ride or something. But, like, like that's an interesting concept to go with, but I also, like, man, like, it like that relationship between Charlie and B is so strong um, where like that, when they have to say goodbye, like it's pretty crushing. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I don't want to see them like step aside. And it, because like, why would like, why would you want to get rid of, <laughs> get rid of Haley Seinfeld? Like she's so good. And right. I feel like maybe that's just them playing it safe where they're like, all right, we don't know if this is going to be a franchise or if this is going to be a standalone. And because they leave it pretty open-ended of, I mean, there's some there's some small retcons I think between like what happens in this movie and how it ends and how the original 07 Bay movie opens, but like there are definitely similarities um, to where the franchise is heading at the end of this movie to where the franchise begins with Bay's film. So maybe they're just trying to play it safe. Of all right, well we'll do this contained story, but also leave it open ended. Where if we don't get a sequel. Mm-hmm. It can be a prequel to the movies that we've already established and we're good with it. But if we get a sequel, then we can try to rearrange the timeline a little bit more or something. Yeah. But it, if it, correct me if I'm wrong, though. They start showing up in the first movie. That's correct. Right. So, so they have it to like, already again. <laughs> it already like breaks that continuity up, right? Yeah, which is it's just a weird thing where like the producers of the movie are like, what? No, this is still like part of the same timeline mm-hmm. but it's like but it doesn't make any sense but then again base films contradicted each other all the time okay and with like all right well here's where the transformers first came to. well actually they came to earth in the age well actually they're here with the dinosaurs are. well actually we earth is a transformer itself or whatever the explanation was of last night oh yeah the the big bad villain of the next movie is actually yeah earth i don't, remember, I don't remember what it is what, what the name of it. it's not cybertron or whatever but like 
yeah, the world eater or something. Some, like yeah, that. whatever it is, it's just like yeah, those movies don't make a lot of sense in a canon perspective, anyways. So like, it does like does it really matter? Probably not. But like, it's just weird that the producers are like, well, it, it may be part of it, but it may not be. Like, just just call it what it is. Yeah, we all like Bumblebee showing up in the eighties. They alluded to in the last series that Bumblebee had been around since like since the World time War of Nazis One or something, or something yeah. like that. So, and then like Optimus shows up on the Earth for the first time in the Bay film. Yes, because they're like all landing, and then somewhat like there's a scene where little girls like are you the tooth fairy? Is he's like stepping on yeah. a pool or a dog house or something like that? Yeah. So that would have to imply that like, yeah, the world war one aspect doesn't make any sense, yep. <laughs> but then it'd have to like imply that they come to earth and then they're like, well, okay, this is going to work, but we have to leave again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wait, why? <laughs> so like, I think they, they, they just don't know like what it is going to be. So they're just yeah. kind of leaving it. Well, it could be a restart of the franchise or it could be this really loose prequel to the other movies that came before it. And I hope this, the only thing that worries me about it is that I just don't know if from a box office perspective, if it's going to like those Bay movies made a ton of money. And even though this movie is the best reviewed of the bunch, it's probably going to have the franchise lowest opening weekend domestically. Yep. So it's just like, I don't know what the reason for that is. If it's just that everybody was so burned out on last night, that like no more transformers. That's mm-hmm. it. Like Michael Bay fooled us way too many times. We're out. And Bumblebee's going to be a great movie. That's just completely, overlooked by most audiences or whatever but like i i don't know i don't know what the future is no me neither but i'll be it i know what the present is and it's bumblebee because it's terrific it is and that's like the play on words because it's christmas time and it's also the presents and Uh, it's a present day bumblebee is a present yes and it's also the present time yes Anyway. Even though Bumblebee takes place in the 80s. Right. <laughs> That's besides the point. Okay. Um, and I also like the Mean Girls. There's like a little bit of a Mean Girls attitude there in is. here. I I never ever wanted to slap a movie character like in the middle of it. But when she's, I don't know who the, the girl is. Um, her name is Gracie. The blonde girl. Dezeni, who's playing Tina, who's like, oh, you should tell your dad to buy yeah. you a better car. It's like, oh, I wait. Was, like, I was like, no, you didn't. I was just waiting for Bumblebee to like do open the door, the door or like, just do something, break her nose or something. Yeah, like, that. <laughs> like I was just like, I feel like that was like that should have happened. Like I don't know why it didn't necessarily, mm-hmm. but like it's it's fine, it's whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I don't. Um, is there anything else? I think like, it's kind of weird. Like I don't feel like this movie like has a ton of spoilers to really get into. No, there's not a whole lot. It's um, just like this movie is like super enjoyable, and I think that you can send anybody to it, and they'll enjoy their time they'll probably be come reinterested in seeing a transformers movie um if they've been previously like all right we're shunning transformers we're out of it no more ever again i think this movie can get a lot of people back on board and it seems like that's what it's doing for the people who are seeing it we just have to wait and see if enough people go to see it or not yeah i will say i did love uh jorge lindenborg jr mm-hmm. as um charlie's friend memo 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 yeah he's got a role in lita battle angel coming up really so i'll be interested to see where that goes do you know what else he's in he was also in love simon right yes and he was also in spider-man homecoming what where was he in spider-man homecoming he is one of the classmates that, like, you remember, so in Gory Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's the, he's the co-anchor. The, yes. Oh, yeah, The awkward awesome. co-anchors together. Yeah, that's yeah. him. I do love that little part. I don't know it. if he's in the sequel or not. There's no, he's not a list on IMDb at least, but. Hmm. 
hmm, I guess we'll find out when the first trailer drops sometime soon. If it Allegedly. drops anytime soon. <laughs> it's Allegedly. supposed to drop like two weeks ago, so who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, Transformers ranking is obviously the best one for you since you've only seen one. Two. Two now, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think I, even though I am a fan of Transformers 1 and Transformers 3, uh, I still think this is the best one. But I also think there's room for improvement, so I hope Travis Knight comes back um, for a sequel or they get some other new director to come yep. on board and just get Christina Hodson back to write it or whatever it may be. So. You know who would be great for one of Transformers movie? I do not. Rick Famuyia? Yes, I agree. He was he he was rumored for Bumblebee. For Bumblebee, I think. I'll be ready. That sound. I feel like that's right. Or maybe Heck, I'm thinking. I would love of, to see them give him this movie and then make the next one stars as he beats. Okay, I can get on board for that. I'm just trying to do a quick Google search here. Uh, yes, it included. Yeah, he was on the shortlist that okay. Travis Knight beat out. That also included Huame Colette Sarah of The Shallows, Seth Gordon, the director of Baywatch, ugh, mm-hmm. pass, and Aaron and Adam Knee. That would have been a way different movie than Seth. God. Yeah. That. Like I, all of them are, I think would deliver much different movies. I like. I think Rick and Travis are probably the most similar. Yeah. Like I think that would be a very that'd be a pretty big departure for Wame. Um, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Definitely, but they have the right idea. Yes, I, I think they should keep it in this time period. I think that's obviously they're setting up with all the Autobots coming back to Earth now mm-hmm. at this time period. So. Whether or not it's canon with the Bay movies or whatever, like Hasbro wants to make a cinematic universe, um, I think this would be a great start to laying all that out. Getting the Micronauts, Mask, G.I. Joe, yes. uh, whatever else Hasbro owns, all can start here with Bumblebee. Yeah, and that was the kind of the attitude I got with John Cena as well, was that G.I. Joe like, oh, he's definitely going to pop up and be around and be a part of like some kind of liaison to the joe force or a part of it himself yeah well screen rant uh shameless plug here we have a theory that he is actually the first gi joe because i guess the scar that he gets on the right side of his face Mm -hmm. uh is like pretty much in the exact same spot of the scar that the original gi joe has Ah. so they're not confirming anything like screen we like even asked you know him and travis knight Uh during the press junk it's like so is this happening and they're like we have no idea, but keep, you know, spreading that into the universe and uh, maybe it'll happen someday. So I think John Cena, like that makes a lot of sense to me that he would then be used as like a leapfrog to the GI Joe franchise. They'd have the connection to the transformers and that at the end of the movie, instead of hating the transformers, he actually helps Charlie and B escape. Mm -hmm. So like he's obviously turned the leaf to from bad guy to good guy. So it makes sense then for like, a sequel or a GI Joe movie or like the eventual GI Joe transformers crossover that they've been wanting to do that. You get John Cena and Bumblebee together fighting with Optimus and like other GI Joes. And like, it'd be pretty awesome. Do we get his name? It in is this movie. We do. I turn, uh, I'm trying to think what it was though. Agent it, Burns. Yes. Which I don't think is in any ways tied to, the gi joe but like what his first name is could be uh, i don't know right joe burns could, could be joe <laughs> and then we could just be like all right you're now gi joe good luck yeah have fun well, i don't um, know yeah I, I dig it either way but we'll we will see what happens with bumblebee go see it obviously we think it's excellent 
worthy of your uh, your dollars, worthy of your AMC list check-ins. If you're still on MoviePass, mm-hmm. use one of your three check-ins in four weeks from now when you're finally able to use it on, <laughs> on Bumblebee. Do that as well. Uh, just go see the movie. Go support it. Josh will see it again at some point. I'll probably mm-hmm. go see it again. Um, I'll definitely see it at some point in the future. I don't know. I hope to see it again in theaters. But that is all for our two reviews. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news, and as always, we start with our three main topics this week. Starting off with a Star Wars Episode Nine rumor slash report of information that we have reportedly gotten from Empire Magazine. Um, even though there's magazine articles not yet published, some people who have like early access to it or are subscribers or whatever are saying that Empire says that Star Wars Nine picks up a year <clears throat> after. Star Wars The Last Jedi. Well, actually, Cooper, it's the First Order magazine now because oh. it's sequel trilogy, not the original trilogy. That's my trilogy. bad. Stupid canon stuff. <laughs> uh, this is it. Yeah, this is kind of wild. So that means set visits have gone down, if this is true. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Like, Possibly. Does, does, does Star Wars do set visits? They've never done set visits. Yeah, so like, I think this is more of just like... Unless so you're the, plugged in. The... Ep- like the the Empire Magazine issue mm-hmm. is the 2019 preview. So I'm assuming there's like they've talked to somebody or Lucasfilm gave them this information or yeah, whatever the case may be. I feel like they got it from some source. Otherwise, that maybe they're just like playing off of like the internet murmurings, murmurings. Yeah, uh, that. There's going to be a time jump in some case, and they're probably just like, "Well, it's it's a year, right?" That's what the internet says. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I I don't think that's the case, but I, mean, I would not I feel like a year makes sense. I would not be. Sh- it does make sense to me too. Two years makes sense to me. Five I, I thought, years. I thought it'd be like three years, pushing probably. it, but that makes sense for me too. I but a sit down with JJ or Simon Pegg or anyone else who put hands on the script doesn't seem that. Did Simon Pegg have anything to do with the script for this movie? I'm assuming he did. If J.J. Really? wrote the script. Did or... he have anything to do with 7? Yeah, he was uh, listed as a screenwriter on 7. Really? Yeah. And I think they kind of passed scripts back and forth. He's like an unofficial employee of Bad Robot. Yeah, but I didn't know he was like... I don't know how much work he does. I did not know Simon Pegg had a story credit or anything. I do believe so. I'm, I'm double checking. I'm he does checking. not. He does not? Nope. That's Michael not. Arndt, Lawrence Kasdan, and J.J. Abrams are have written by credit and then George Lucas has based on characters created by. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So I'm peg has hands on some kind of high profile script that I am thinking of. That was also with JJ Abrams. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of star Trek. <laughs> maybe. Okay. That would make that. a little more sense, but maybe there's a sit down with one of the screenwriters of stars episode seven, particularly JJ. I like, so when's this movie start? It starts one year after. Yeah. And then that's what they're running off of. Or they're like, we need to do our preview, like you said. And be like, hey, when's the movie start? One year, thanks. Or they just call like JJ or Kathleen like, so exactly. like, what can you tell us about the movie? Like, mm-hmm. Or can you give us a still? Like, well, we can't give you a still because we're still filming. So no, right. we're not going to give you anything. But we'll tell you this very vague plot details that 
Ray is still out there. Kylo still exists. Mm-hmm. Like all the stuff we already know, but it's like, but it takes place a year after. It's like, okay, cool. Right. Nobody passed away intermittently. <laughs> right. Or whatever the case is. Um, yeah. And that's okay. That's, I'm just kind of fine with that. Nope. Yeah. I have no qualms. Yeah. I, th- I feel like this makes sense. Like most of the Star Wars movies like have some sort of a time jump between them. Um, other than really last Jedi and force awakens. It's like, a couple of days maybe <laughs> 48 hours tops um but this one i think i feel like it makes sense to go a year beyond because then it gives us a year of ray doing whatever she's doing mm-hmm. building a new jedi academy or just training further in the force um doing you know meeting up with force ghost luke and learning lessons whatever whatever ray's doing mm-hmm. she's had a year to do that instead of just like all right this takes place a week after the last jedi it's like well there's just like no evolution (laughs) it's like we are all still the exact same people we were when the fourth awakens happened this is the shortest amount of time that they could have done a time jump to if true and yeah it's the least they could have done um and i honestly actually think it's i mean i actually think it's too short of a time yeah i would that i mean really like what changes in a year it i mean it's not usually a whole lot but if you do two or three years you can have so much more freedom with Finn and Poe right. and Ray. Ray and Poe could have had their baby. No, and- stop it. <laughs> I just have to <laughs> think about that. Babies are no, 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 no. I just no, had to. Th- no. I had to make that joke. Uh, or maybe you know Finn and Poe are together uh, or whatever it is. Like you know if the internet gets to its way or. But I I I agree with you though that in the in the general sense that more could happen in the three to three to four yes. years or whatever than happens in a year time span. But I also think that like having it just be a year means that like, cause like the last Jedi does end with some pretty, I think big revelations and character shifts of in their, um, their arcs or their trajectories. And like now Kylo is head of the first order and he is like upset with Ray and like, he just like, he couldn't kill Luke and Han still just died. Like he just killed his dad still like a couple of days ago, and yeah. he, but he couldn't kill his mom. And like, but now, so now that it's a year later, like it's still, a lot of that stuff is still semi fresh. Or if it was like, all right, it's been five years since I've killed my dad. Like right. I don't care anymore. Yeah. But it's like, oh, but it's like, that's like the year anniversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I killed my dad a year ago today. Like, oh, that's sad. Like, do I regret it? Like any of that turmoil could come back up to him. Um, and yeah, I think it, it gives a year seems like enough time for the resistance to build from the dozen people that mm-hmm. are left at the end of Last Jedi to then be like, all right, well now in yeah. episode nine we've got a whole base full of people again, and Lando's here and he's brought some recruits of mm-hmm. his own, and uh, but then the First Order has you know become more prominent in their own right, and like yeah. it's the, that seems like the right amount of time to rebuild resources for the conclusion. Yeah, story wise, it's perfectly logical but for uh, i mean just like in terms of like spin-off books and comics mm-hmm. and everything like that i feel like you would want to build out two or three years so that way you could see a star wars you get an um, animated series resistance season seven or a whole new part where it's just like all right here's the ongoing first order resistance um battle unless the flip side of scale. that is they're like, we want to limit as much as possible. So that way there's not as much like room for them to like squeeze in stories, but mm-hmm. I'm like, try to connect the dots. But like if they tell this saga in like 
a year and a half time span, basically, yeah. that are like basically just like a year, then it leaves room for comic creators or TV creators or whoever to then like do stories after this and not like, all right, well, what happened the year before that we can focus on without contradicting what comes in that movie or beyond it? Because mm-hmm. from what we, I think a lot of people at least expect, Star Wars whatever comes next after nine, whether it's the Benioff and Wise series or, um, I mean, the Ryan Johnson one may not fit this, but I think the Benioff Wise one's going to go back to the past. That's what a lot of people assume. And then the Ryan Johnson one will in some way continue the franchise on probably at like in like in the same ish time period, but maybe just focus on different characters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. ending it here, like without that gap could then, allow them for like, all right, well now we can do like a Ray comic story and continue that adventure on and not be like, all right, well, what was Ray doing between shutting the door on Kylo and sure. when she reopened the door <laughs> in episode nine, like yeah. there's a lot more, uh, flexibility to tell future stories. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, it's, it's an intriguing choice. I'll buy whatever they tossed my, my way story wise, even if they, they took like, two days off and suddenly the resistance has got a massive army at their backs. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll find it's, it's interesting. It, it takes a little bit of the leeway away from character wise. Cause you still can only move them a year ahead. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can still mature them and yeah. battle harden them and grow Finn's hair out and everything like that. So either way, it's a welcome choice. Yes. Yeah. It's better than like, all right, picks up the next day. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh Yeah. Okay, right. cool. Like, uh, that would be interesting, but at the same time, I think it's way more interesting to at least have some sort of relatively big time jump. So uh, let's move on then to some comments made by Adam McKay and his potential joining of the MCU. Uh, he spoke to the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast and Josh Horowitz, its host, uh, because he was a writer. He helped rewrite the script for Ant-Man after Edgar Wright left. And at that time, he was approached by Marvel Studios to actually take over the directing chair for Edgar Wright. Um, but because they're close friends, he was like, that's a little weird, but I'll help Paul Rudd, I'll help Paul Rudd rewrite the script at least. Now he has confirmed on the Happy Side Confused podcast that he was indeed approached by Marvel to take over Guardians of the Galaxy 3 after James Gunn was fired. Um, but he said he was not, he doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but he would be all on board for directing a Silver Surfer solo movie once the uh, Fox characters are back at Marvel. So Guardians 3... Silver Surfer or something else. Do we want Adam McKay in the MCU? We want Adam McKay directing a film in the MCU. I don't know what that would be, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 would be perfect for him Mm -hmm. in a lot of the ways because I'm just thinking right now about the other guys so much, and that's sort of like the attitude that he'd be able to get to play with, Um, and there's no doubt that he could get James Gunn's blessing um, to pick up his script and run with it. I mean, cause he's really just directing comedy at this point. If they're the rumors were true, the reports were true that they are in fact still buying using guns, volume mm-hmm. three script and going to complete that in sort of in best of his vision. Even if he does like remote EP, the film or whatever the case right. is. So yeah, I mean the silver surfer thing, I just don't know anything about the silver surfer and I don't really care about him at all. Just think he's the most uninteresting character of all. Okay. I don't need a metal tube man flying around on the interstellar surfboard, throwing cosmos or saving them or being sometimes a villain. I don't know. Yeah. No, thank you. But please give me Adam McKay's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. 
I don't know if I want Adam McKay on volume three. I'm not sure if he's the right fit for it. Mm. Um, I'll take it if that's obviously if that's the choice. Like if he has a change of heart after Vice comes out and wins him an Oscar or something. Like if that happens, he's like, all right, I've done my Oscar stuff. Now I'm ready. I, I can go back and make like some fun movies again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, I'll do Guardian. <clears throat> excuse me, I'll do Guardians three for you, Marvel. Like I could, I'd, I'd get on board for it. I'd probably talk myself into it. But if like I had to pick and choose, I just I, Adam McKay. I don't. I would rather see him like get his own thing than take over for James Gunn. Unless he's only unless he only wants to do one movie, and it's like all right, fine, close out volume three, close out this franchise, and mm-hmm. we'll all move on. Um, but I think he could do an interesting Silver Surfer movie. I don't know what it, like you could get him in the cosmos or have Silver Surfer back on Earth or I don't know. I don't know what the story would be, but I feel like that if he's really passionate about it, if that's the character like above all else he wants, like I I don't have that much of an attachment to Silver Surfer as a character, but like if that's his character, like that and he also mentioned Nova. Um, or like the two characters that he really wants, like that that he's like the biggest fans of. So if that's the case, like give it to him because if in, like Travis Knight, as we talked about, like he is a huge Transformers fan, and look what he did with a Transformers property, delivered a great one. Yeah. That's not always the case. Um, like the I don't know, like there's some like great like the Dungeons and Dragons movie or Mortal Kombat or something where the director was a huge fan and it was just a massive disaster of a movie. So it's not, you know, a a rule to go by of, Oh, this person's a fan. So they will, they will absolutely make a great cinematic version Mm -hmm. of this property. But I think Adam McKay has proven himself more than once that he is a talented director and could deliver something, um, whatever it may be. I mean, he's also in talk. He was, they, he talked to Marvel about the Inhumans movie when that was still a thing before it got a TV show. I feel like that would have been right up his alley actually. So like maybe Adam McKay's X-Men and he can get a little political in there and that's what he likes. Um, so I could, I could see like that happening, but honestly, if we're going to throw out X-Men directors, I'd rather Travis Knight take over X-Men than Adam McKay. Yeah. He's very much a satirical director and writer from Anchorman all the way through to the other guys. And then ultimately with the two biggest ones being the big short and vice. Um, I just, Oh yeah. And I also watched a little bit of the big short, like the opening 15, 20 minutes of it. Uh, Steve Carell's nose and that thing. It's just <laughs> so funny. Um, I mean, just seeing him like as a different character from Michael Scott, that is not the fact that, okay, got that covered. Um, I'm going to have so many problems here. All right. But yeah, no, no, no. I, I think I agree with you, especially with the X-Men thing that could be better, but at the same time we want our X-Men to be a little bit broodier and darker. And it'd be interesting to see. Do we? Oh, I guess that's what we've always had. Yeah. And I can't imagine an Adam McKay X-Men, but I can't imagine an Adam McKay Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Cause that's like, that's the, that's like the opposite. Really? I mean, you can, you can picture that X-Men, but I just don't, he, I don't know. I feel like he'd want to finesse it and make it funny. And then I, I feel like that's what, something. yeah, I feel like that's what the X-Men will be with Marvel. Funny. Lighter comedic. Yeah. But how do you do that? but also still topical. I feel like Adam McKay could do all that. But I, I but I think, again, I think Travis Knight would be a much better choice. Uh, make a lot more sense to come in and, like, he when he was talking with, for Guardians 3, like, I was like, all right, well, if you don't want to do this, then what about in three years you come in and start doing pre-pro on our first X-Men movie? And he's like, all right, that sounds great. I'll go do a Leica movie in the meantime, and then I'll come back to live action after that. 
that makes a ton of sense to me. But hmm. if it, if they don't want to wait that long for whatever reason, or Travis Knight becomes too busy after Bumblebee, then Adam McKay, Adam McKay would be a, I think, a solid choice for X Men, or whatever he wants to do. Either yeah, way, for sure. I think Adam McKay's great. So if he wants to do an a MCU movie, more power to him. I'll take it. Um, so then we also, um, you know, even though Adam McKay is not joining the MCU, uh, there is another movie that he could, if he really wanted to direct, there's a new spot, there's a new gig open, um, after THR reported that Sean Levy has exited the, uh, Uncharted movie as its director because he is moving forward with a movie called Free Guy, which is a video game comedy starring Ryan Reynolds as a video game character who, like, comes out into the real world or something like that. Um, either way, Sean Levy's out of Uncharted because the schedules between free guys shooting and when they and when Sony wants to shoot Uncharted uh, apparently overlap and they contradict each other. So it's a pretty big loss for Uncharted, it looks like. Yeah, huge, especially because Sean Levy is a experienced director. Um, I mean, just in terms of like his body of work and crushing it on... Um, some Stranger Things episodes as well. So, or at least did some work on them. I don't know specifically yeah, he what he was. Yeah, he is a producer on Stranger Things. Okay. Is that what it was? Cause I, he, I am double checking to see if he actually directed any of them. Some yes. of the chapter, early chapters I thought he directed. He has directed six episodes. Okay, Including yeah. two for the upcoming third season. There we go. Very cool. Oh, that's right. That'll be. We'll get that in 2019. That'll be so much fun. Um, so he could definitely. I mean, yeah, it's a huge loss for the for Sony, but also, is Sony really moving forward with Uncharted? I mean, I guess kicking him off the project means that they are. It looks like it. And they're not willing to wait. But we've just been hearing. We I mean, we had the murmurings of this movie. We had a Tom Holland casting like last year. Early last year, spring of last year. Uh, yeah, sometime last year. An insanely was, long time ago. It was around Homecoming's release, I believe. That sounds right. I feel like that makes sense. Sure thing. So, with all that going, I've gotten kind of like skeptical, like their commitment to this project, and mm-hmm. I don't know if they're waiting to put distance on it from the last Uncharted game, or they're waiting for another Uncharted game to pop up and move forward, so they can you know, have some kind of brand synergy with the Naughty Dog games and whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a big loss, but at the same time, I'm just kind of not, I'm not mourning it at all. Um, I think there are, there's a slew of other directors that they could grab, like Adam McKay, if he so wanted to, but I don't think he'd be the best choice. Yeah, I don't either. For this. No, no, no. I'll just try to use that as a transition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it worked well. I've been just <laughs> going to shoot that down right now. Okay, fine. Let me, do you have any, uh, Buddy, you'd you'd want to see take over? Yeah, I do have one person. I'll have two persons. I okay. would say first of all, Travis Knight could easily slide in there. Um, but also, the why I forgot her name already. I wrote down Christina Hodson, but that's not it. Um, Cowboy Ninja Vikings. Michelle McLaren. Michelle McLaren. Thank <laughs> you. She still does not have a job after getting shelved there. True. I don't think she's still technically attached to that movie. She is, but the production the, is pushed yes. till 2025 or sorry, not 2025, but true, still, like ridiculously true. far away. Yes. And we know she's got chops. She's the, she's in the most apt director without a project whose experience spans the range of every prestige drama series you can, you know, name. Mm-hmm. So why not? I, I, I don't know. I've, uh, sure. 
I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, what about somebody like Brad Bird? No. Goes back to live action, adventure film. Nope, don't see it. I don't see it. I really don't. I mean, he would be a choice, but I don't he think would, he's He up. would be a choice, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not up. He would be an interesting choice is kind of what I'm saying. Um, intriguing, but he, I don't think he's up Sony's alley at all. Doug Liman. Doug Liman would be most already has a connection with Tom Holland. They're doing chaos walking together. They've worked together. Yeah. Um, And then two, it's just kind of that weird world type attitude to it Mm -hmm. that I think would be really cool. Now here's one or two go Phil Lord, Chris Miller. No, 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 not interesting enough subject matter for him, but they are, I mean, come on. Well, unless you're going to rewrite the entirety of the uncharted script for these, these two, um, I mean, they have the Sony clout, and Sony yeah. will probably buy it. Right off Spider Verse, like I'm just thinking, like they're probably Sony's like go-to guys at this point. Like, if they really want this to get going, I don't think Phil or Chris Miller have any like immediate directing gigs on their plate. They have nothing. So, like, if this movie, because I believe you know, if uh, Free Guy, whatever this movie's called, that Sean Lee was directing instead, if this is going to happen, like in the relatively soon future, where like they're currently casting the movie and everything. Mm-hmm. I would believe, and like it says that Sony's already looking to replace Sean Levy because they want to, like, you know, shoot this in the nearby future. Yeah. So if that is the case, then I think it'll probably indicate like a mid to late 2019 shoot. Yeah. Summer, for this, like, for I feel sure. like I feel like that's probably what they're aiming for. It, whether or not they get there, I have no idea. But I feel like that's probably their plan at this point. And I think Phil Orkus Miller could like sign off for this today, have three months to rewrite the script and get pre-pro done and then get casting ready for like a August start of next year and have it out in 2021 or whatever. And like, yeah, it would have enough time to get the development. I feel like they would give a, a fun, uh, the, like, cause I think the, the, the only thing I'm maybe worried about with Uncharted movies is that they'll try to go like just, just straight up. This is like the young Indiana Jones movie with mm-hmm. Tom Holland. And like that, that's fine. Like you can do that, but like maybe I think Phil Lauren Cosmoda could do something different. Like they're smart enough guys as both directors and writers that they could come in and do something I think a little different that would keep people surprised. Yeah, you just have the problem of the video game lore and history and tie-in that they're going to be playing with, uh-huh. and I just don't see Sony being like, "All right, sure, have you know, have fun with this character." I don't know. It doesn't seem to intrigue me. I mean, I, I don't know how much they're mandated to stick to the uncharted lore that's already established. I mean, this is an origin movie. As far mm-hmm. as I'm aware, they haven't really explored a lot of that territory in the games slightly, but yeah. So there's a few throwbacks. Peter Jackson would make more sense to me than Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Really? Yeah. Especially too, if Peter Jackson's going to do Tintin. I mean, I mean, I feel like that's going to happen. Right. It's always listed on his IMDP page. Yeah. Like it's a, like it's a sure thing that yeah, it's Tintin going too. to happen at some point. I think they added a title just recently to it, but, um, all right. What about Jake Kasdan, director of Jumanji two and three? That makes a whole lot more sense. They, yeah. they, it wouldn't work with, all right, we have, we're going to do this movie really quickly because he has to shoot Jumanji two slash three. Mm-hmm. Uh, early next year. Well, but, think about it. Uncharted kind of fits that Jumanji yeah. vibe, so they could just have one set over here, and then Cinematic Universe with that. Yes, yes. Uncharted is like the tie-in video game. Jumanji in real two life to Jumanji is Uncharted. Yes, and all of those characters just get ported over in a video game crossover event. Oh, like perfect. 
They're like, all right, let's just plug in Uncharted to the Jumanji video game, and then it just morphs them all into it. Yeah. Right down. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of Sony guys. Shane Black's not a Sony guy. He's not. But I don't. I also, feel like after Predator, he's he's gonna have to do something a little smaller. He'll have to do another Nice Guys well, before I mean, he gets another blockbuster. Uncharted is a studio movie. Yes. Through and through. So if you Shane Black says, I can direct this movie for you, that's his one, like, and there's another one for you type of a thing. Um, but, I mean, it's not going to be a blockbuster. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? If uh, if we don't get a Tomb Raider sequel, get Roar Uthog to come in. He did a really good job with that first Tomb Raider movie with Alicia Vikander. Yeah, just do was, the same thing. It was passable. And... It's not just passable. It's one of the most underrated movies. It is the most underrated movie of the year. Can you, you believe that came out this year? Screen Rant article. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you post that? I claimed it to be the most underrated movie of the year. Oh, really cool. Number two was Maze Runner. Number three mm. was Tag. Number four was Ocean's Eight. And number five was Bohemian Rhapsody, I think. I would agree with. All of those. I'm like, I feel feel like Tag is being underrated. Who's underrating Tag? Uh, critics. That's like it's Ryan. What? Exactly. That no, movie that was belongs in the blockers game night conversation. Even though I think it's, I mean, it's number three out of all of those. I feel like it's it. I could flip between that and blockers depending on what day of the week it is. I feel like game night still superiorist. Either way, we have to move on. Unfortunately, okay, that's true. Um, to take it or skip it, where we have three trailers, all brand new, all for the brand or all first trailers for brand new movies of 2019. First is Where Did You Go, Bernadette? The other one is for Hellboy, and uh, the other one is for MIB International. Josh, which one of these three get your ticket this week? I want as much as I wanted to give it to Where Did You Go, Bernadette, for all of its whimsical sweetness and weirdness. You're not going there. I'm not going there. Okay, well, you have you have you have to give it to Men in Black oh, thank International. Goodness. Thank you. It goodness. is so good in ever. Like I'm already in love with this movie. Your fears are gone. My fears are gone. Like I literally, um, I did, I did tweet it at the moment. I don't know why, but I was like, F. Gary Gray, holy cow, dude. You it looks like you've crushed this. I know I know the trailer isn't you. You didn't cut this <laughs> up. But the attitude and the style and Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson is already looking phenomenally fun. And I'm sorry to ever doubt you. Um Kumel then Johnny's little smurf <laughs> character or whatever he is already looks like a good mix of alien and cute. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just digging the whole vibe all the way through. Um, especially Liam Neeson's kind of like, you know, uh, I've seen it all gritty Irishman accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, and I, I've seen the trailer. I didn't rewatch the trailer like I used to do before we started. Uh-huh. Like I, knew, I usually do. So I'm forgetting like specific details here. But I just know this is going to be one of those surprise hit movies. And I am all about that yeah no i completely agree it is the clear ticket winner for me this week um because i like that even though maybe this is just my perception of the movie um that it would still be like there's still that buddy cop element to it but it looks like this is way more tessa thompson's movie Mm -hmm. than it is chris hemsworth and i thought it'd be like the other way around maybe that's just because chris hemsworth the bigger star but like she's the one who discovers mib she's the one who like applies and she doesn't apply she's like I'm working here. Yeah. <laughs> you have to give me a suit and tie and sunglasses. They're like, all right, 
Sure. I've been tracking you down for like ever, like just because I like I wanted to be a part of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's such like, a cool angle. It's it's it is it is really great. Um, yeah, I think F. Gray Gray looks like he did a really good job with the uh, action, the comedy. Um, and I think I've seen some people maybe not like oh, it's too comedic or it's too actiony. Um, and that plays off of what the franchise started as. But I think this is the nice evolution of the franchise to keep it going, uh, to reinvent it. And I think it looks like a really fun time. We'll have our 2019 most anticipated episode out next week. Yeah. So you have to see if uh, MIB International makes it onto our list um, or not. Did it? I don't remember. I don't remember. And either. we're saying this because we pre-recorded it like three weeks ago. And I feel like it's an honorable mention maybe mm-hmm. i think so too yeah that sounds right but i just like but i I, mean, I probably would have moved it up maybe a spot or two yeah, higher i am i'm able to say this though we have not had a tessa thompson led movie and i feel comfortable calling it that like you said because she's got background and crimson headboard's just the the top agent who's asleep and ready for lunch at 10 30 yeah so. I mean, if we're talking like movies overall like I'm, she probably has like some indie or something that she's the lead of, but like oh, yeah. in terms of like in terms of like two. blockbusters, yeah, like she's supporting Annihilation, Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. the Creed movies, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, she looks great. That pairing, they're so good together as they yep. were in Thor Ragnarok. So I'm ready for a whole cinematic universe of Tessa Thompson, Chris Hemsworth comedies. Yes, at this point, absolutely. They just take over every franchise. They're the new right. Jump Street. They're the new whatever. Star. We like we, we push play on Star Wars uh, Episode Nine in the theaters, and one then year, all of a sudden Tessa later. Thompson and Chris Hemsworth are like playing the roles. Like, yeah. since what that that's Ray now? Okay, no, nope, <laughs> okay. I don't care. Wait. There, one of them is Snoke. I don't. I don't. I don't know what happened. Right. Uh, I'm confused, but I'm. I'm okay with it. Like whatever, maybe. Just, um, it just like just like slowly cascades and descends into like a space balls, and which is the movie I hate the most. But with these two at the center of them, be like, why not? Go why for not? It. Um, so let's jump into the fly by then to wrap up this episode, the final episode of 2018. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, well, kind of. Um, right. So starting with EW released a bunch of new images this week for a bunch of upcoming 2019 movies, including Aladdin, Us, John Wick 3, Hellboy, and Hobbs and Shaw. Um, I think there was even one for Artemis Fowl in there as well that you know nobody really cared about. Um, yes, with Judy Dench. Um, yes. As her, like a, her commander character or whatever yeah, she like is. Yeah, She's just dressed commando. in green. Right. And uh, which, one's the, which one or which uh, pictures stand out to you the most? Uh, well, the Aladdin pictures stand out the most. I mean, you've got hot Jafar and Abu who's looking very – well, that's what the internet says, that okay? Is, that is what I'm the just says. parroting Okay, this okay, okay. Um, and then as well I – mean, I mean, objectively, he is attractive, okay? <laughs> we, we need to at least right, acknowledge right, We get it, we get this. it, we get it. But then we've also got John Wick. And we've got some little plot details in there as well. Uh-huh. And that's my favorite um, because – those dogs look like they're ready to rip. They're about to take the vengeance out on, you know, their long lost puppy sibling. Rest may rest in peace from the first film. So no, I don't think they're related. No, they're not, but they've heard the story. Oh, it's, it's passed through the grapevine. It's been of... passed down. And so gotcha. they're ready and they're out for vengeance. And um, so, yeah, the best image series as a whole. Hobbs and Shaw is just like, oh, who gives a, Care. It's like all the other Hobbs and Shaw images. Yeah. The Rock and Statham standing there with some sort of weapon. If you showed me this image, I would have been like Fast and Furious, Fate of the Furious, or whatever <laughs> the case is. Not Hobbs and Shaw, but I know they're technically the same movie, but still. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very much the, here's an action movie still. Yes, and that's yes. It. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Aladdin images 
Uh, I like the look of him. I don't care. Like the genie, yeah, he's not blue, but he's going to be blue in the movie. Everybody needs to calm down. Mm-hmm. Read the articles. Read the quotes. Just don't overreact all the time. Click the dang link. <laughs> yes, you know sometimes that sometimes you need that. As much as people hate clicking on links for some reason online, mm. sometimes you need to do that. You know what Twitter needs to do? They need to just have a built-in like an in-timeline link clicker, so you can just scroll through the article that way. So not I actually mean, if you, load if you, a separate web If you page. click on the link, it'll load it in the, in app? the yes. app. Yes. But what they need to do is load it in the timeline so people will scroll through in the timeline. Nah, that won't work. So I'm going to invent it. All right, go like ahead. Like a PDF reader, like when they post full text uh, it, articles. Your timeline would be way too long. Yeah, but it would help. No, those, they should just add a preview. It says, click the link, don't overreact. <laughs> yeah. And then you click on it, and then you see the relevant information before you overreact online. Yeah. Um, the Us image is really cool. Um, mm, I right. want to know more about the monster aspect of it that Jordan Peele is teasing. We'll get the trailer tomorrow as of the time you guys are hearing this. So can't wait for the trailer for Us. Werewolves or vampires? I don't, I don't know thinking. what it is. Either way, it's going to be cool. And then John Wick 3, yeah, looks awesome. Uh and Stahelski even teased that the dogs have an action sequence built around them. So mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that. Uh, but let's move on then to Lana Condor and Noah Centineo's online flirtation that led to an announcement of the To All the Boys I Love Before sequel. It's official. It's happening on Netflix. There's no other information about it other than there was a tease of the kid who showed up at the end of the first movie who gets the last letter that they're probably going to recast that character. Um, but either way, the movie is happening It'll probably shoot in relatively near future, but either way, it's happening. It's cool. That first movie is really charming, so glad to see this back. Yeah, Netflix definitely capitalized on it. The video is a little bit corny and cheesy, but you know, I mean, if you if you dug their um, you dug the movie, then you're kind of like, oh yeah, I'm you're on board. Um, and then Disney's live action film chief Sean Bailey told THR this week that uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise is indeed being rebooted by Paul Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, the writers of Deadpool, um, and also confirmed that Johnny Depp is no longer going to be involved with the franchise. Moving forward, sayonara, see you later, enjoy being Grindelwald, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. Yeah, I we will pour one out for the first three movies of Johnny Depp and the guy we kind of liked back then. First, like, two and a half. Two and a half. There you go. Um, but, yeah, this iteration and then this Johnny Depp, you know, is now present in our eyes. We, yep. So okay, have like you said, have fun being Grindelwald, yep. man. Peace and out. And just get Blake Lively. Yes, please write your main man Ryan's wife into this film. Yes, uh, because I've been watching. Like I said, I've been watching rewatching Simple Favor, and perfect and she's ready for this she absolutely is as are apparently some new leaps for vanessa hudgens alexander ludwig and charles melton as according to variety they have all been cast in bad boys 3 which is for some reason still titled bad boys for life even though it's not the fourth installment of the film what are you doing sony either way uh yeah holy cow why why would they do that i don't know but either way vanessa hudgens uh interesting to see her join this but i am uh, alexander ludwig big fan of his from uh, Hunger Games, Lone Survivor, so all on board. Mm-hmm. It's the Vanessa Hudgens comeback is officially beginning. It began with the Christmas Switch on Netflix. Yes, and now it's going to be Bad Boys for Life, and then whatever else comes next. But yeah, now that you said that about the title, I can't unsee or think about that. <laughs> they can make the three in life. Ah, yeah. Like, uh, like uh, you know, it could be like, here's the three, and then it turns around, and be- or it's an E, and then it comes around and turns three. Yeah, I can but see them doing that. That would be a waste, because they're definitely going to use the number four 
in the center, and it'd be like, what's going nah, on? No, they here? can't. They can't do that for the third movie. <laughs> Bad it's Boys too confusing. Forty three. <laughs> I don't know. That'll definitely be the hashtag though. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then lastly, the rap reported that Jay Basu, the writer of the Girl in the Spider's Web reboot this year, uh, has signed on to write Universal's Battlestar Galactica live-action movie that has Francis Lawrence attached to direct. I didn't even know this project was a thing until this writer was announced, let alone the Lord, Francis Lawrence had already signed on to direct it. So, uh, interesting. I would, I'm would. i interested to see Francis Lawrence's vision of this franchise and this mm-hmm. IP, but Jay Basu, his credits don't really impressed me all that much um the spider's web movie was kind of all over the place so i'll have to wait and see yeah i didn't i thought this was a sci-fi film going forward not an actual universal like fully backed 100 million dollar 80 million dollar project yeah and so that's what caught me off guard about this because we hadn't talked about it yet yeah and I was like, oh, I'll, pay, I'll like say, hey, we could talk about this. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, he doesn't like, you don't like when I talk about TV movies or anything like that. That's correct. Yes. So this is interesting, too. Flanchard Lawrence, um, he brings a certain gravitas and uh, credibility, I think, to his movies or, you know, realism sort mm-hmm. of to the project he picks up, um, like in Hunger Games. Passengers, to an extent. Uh, no, he didn't direct Passengers. He did not direct pa- He did Red Sparrow. You... Said passengers. I did say passengers early. That you was pitched Jennifer Lawrence actually as as Kara whoever Starbuck, the lead character is um, in Battlestar Race, Starbuck, who would be perfect for it. I think that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you get Chris Hemsworth. She needs her new franchise. Like she's mm-hmm. been out of the public eye a little bit. Like you know, the Red Sparrow is still this year. It feels like it came out eight years ago. Yep. Uh, and I think it just makes sense. Like you get Francis Lawrence, you get Jennifer Lawrence, you can even get Chris Pratt back if you're like, all right. Cowboy Ninja Viking has been delayed. You guys have already did Passengers together. Um, just get him on board and he, with Universal. He's also got, you know, obviously the Jurassic World franchise. So mm-hmm. it, just, it just makes sense. Yeah, totally does. I, but we'll have to wait and see if uh, this actually happens or not. Same here. So that is it. That is all we have for this long final-ish episode of 2018. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be back next week with our 2019 most anticipated of the year list. We'll have Colton joining us for that as well. Uh, for another another uh, leakedies list, I think is what we called them. Yes. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And then this week, we'll also have our final third uh, episode of our MCU ranking. Uh, big questions. Uh, finally get into our top five movies uh, after all this time. So hope you guys have been enjoying that. If you have, be sure to tune in for the final installment of it this week. Um, and then, obviously, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, though, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, our iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoy listening to the show. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts, I think, covered by Trina's app for this film. You can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends Film Podcast. Josh. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. And be sure to turn next week for our most anticipated of 2019 lists.